Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. It's great to see you, and if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. That's where we're going to be this morning. And I just want to say right off the bat, it is a real privilege and a blessing for me to be here. I absolutely love your pastor and his wife. My wife, Denise, and I just really cherish our relationship with Ed and Marie. And um, I hope you guys realize what a special pastor that you have in Ed. Um, I call Ed Barnabas um, because in the uh, Bible, Barnabas means son of encouragement, and that's what Ed is um, to myself and so many. He has just been such a great um, instrument of encouragement to me, and I know God is using him really to encourage pastors and leaders all over the world. And um, so, Um, You guys are blessed, and I hope you know that. If you are visiting today, I want to encourage you to come back because Ed is also a great Bible teacher. He'll be here, um, I think, next week. So... um But it's great to be here. It's great to be in a church that values the study of God's word and believes in the power of God's word. How many of you believe in the power of God's word? All right. Um, Speaking of the power of God's word, there was a woman, uh, elderly woman. uh, Her name was Susan. She was about 80 years old. She was a widow. And uh, at her church, she was a really um, strong believer, and um, she went to a Tuesday night Bible study. At this particular Bible study that she went to, um, they would study a chapter in the Bible, and then they would pick one verse out of that chapter to memorize. And so that particular night, the verse that they were memorizing was Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I'll read it to you. It says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that night she had memorized that verse. They had gone over it several times and were repeating it and repeating the reference, you know, Acts 2.38. And so that evening she comes home. She was living by herself, and she walks into her house, and there in the living room, when she comes in the front door, she notices in the dark movement. And she can tell that there's an intruder in her house. And so the first thing that came to her mind that she just yelled out was, Stop Acts 2.38. And this young man who was in her house to burglarize her house just froze in in his tracks. She immediately called the police who sent out a car, a patrol car, you know, within minutes. And uh, when they were taking this young man off and arresting him, the officer, the arresting officer said, man, I I don't get it. That, That lady was like 80 years old. How come you didn't, you know, run away or try to do something else? And and the young man said, well, when she came in, she yelled, stop, I've got an ax and two (laughs) 38s. Well, hopefully today we're going to experience the power of God's word in a different way um, in our lives here in Luke chapter 24. Um, Let's pray together and we'll dive into this. Father, we love you. We do thank you, God, for the power of your word, the power that it has to transform our lives. 
And God, I pray right now that, that you would just do, that you would do just that. That your Holy Spirit would just meet us now through the study of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, growing up, I wasn't much of a reader, and so I kind of gravitated toward the, the books that were more picture books, and, um, you know, the books with a lot of, you know, pictures in them. My son, my grandson, uh, 20-month-old, um, his name's Josiah, he loves books, and he has a bunch of books right now that are, you know, because he's 20 months, doesn't read yet, a lot of picture books, and he sits there and he studies the pictures, and the reason why I bring that up is because the Bible is really, for us, a giant picture book. And it is a, a book that presents these incredible pictures to us that reveal God's heart and reveal God's character and reveal just the various ways that God works in each one of our lives. And we're gonna see such a picture today in Luke chapter 24 because we are going to be considering the way that Jesus handles bread. And that might seem kind of like a funny thing to you, but I believe that we can learn something about the way that Jesus handles each one of our lives by considering the way that Jesus handles bread. The scene here in Luke chapter 24 is it's resurrection day. Jesus has risen from the dead, but he's gonna encounter two of his disciples who have yet to believe that he has risen from the dead, and they are on their way leaving Jerusalem, heading this seven-mile journey down to Emmaus, where they're from, and their hearts are sad. Their hearts are, are, are full of confusion and full of frustration and disillusionment, and Jesus is gonna come and meet them in this moment. We'll pick it up in verse 13 of Luke 24. It says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was that while they conversed in reason, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now pause right there. And the first thing that I want us to notice is that these two men, these two disciples of Jesus are going in the wrong direction. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're going away from where all the other believers are. And they're going away because their hearts are sad and their hearts are full of confusion because they had put all their hope in, in Jesus. And Jesus, you know, they, they watched him die on the cross. But I want you to notice that, that these two guys, as they're heading in the wrong direction, that Jesus comes and he heads them off at the pass, but they don't recognize him. Their eyes are restrained. We're not sure exactly why, but they don't know that this is Jesus that has come alongside of them. And I point that out because I know in my life, I really just thank God for the times when I was headed in the wrong direction and Jesus came and chased me down. Whether I was headed in the wrong direction physically or whether I was headed in the wrong direction just mentally or emotionally, I'm thankful for the times that Jesus went after me. And I believe that there might be some of you here today that are headed in the wrong direction, be it physically, maybe spiritually, maybe emotionally. And I want you to know this, that Jesus is after you because he loves you. 
In fact, the very fact that you are here today is because he loves you and he wants you to to, to hear this message today and he wants to meet you today and restore you today and forgive you today and do a work in your heart today. And before we go at the the end of our service today, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to him in that way. So Jesus comes alongside these two guys going in the wrong direction. We pick it up in verse 17. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then the one whose name was Cleopas, that's part of why he was sad, um, (laughs) answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? Now pause right there. Jesus knew what things. They happened to him. He knew what was going on, but he wanted to hear these guys verbalize it. He wanted to hear their hearts. And oftentimes people say, why do I need to pray? God knows what's going on. God knows my heart. But you know what? God wants us to pray because he wants to hear our hearts. And oftentimes we need to verbalize it. We need to verbalize it not for him, but more for us that we can hear what's on our hearts and we need to verbalize that to him. So he'll ask us, Jesus asked these guys what things, and verse 19 says, so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Here's key verse, verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. And yes, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying that they had also seen vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Notice again that phrase. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Now, what they were hoping for, the redemption that they were looking for was deliverance from Roman oppression. The Romans were the rulers in, that, in the world at that time, and they, they governed the world with a brutal oppression, and the Jewish people, they were fed up with it. And they were longing for the day when their Messiah was going to come and he was going to drive out the Romans and set up his kingdom. And all along they had been thinking that Jesus was going to be that Messiah. That he was going to be that one who was going to come and deliver them. What they failed to realize though is that Jesus was going to redeem them from a greater oppressor than Rome. That he was going to deliver them from sin, from death, the fear of death, from the power of Satan. First John chapter three, verse eight tells us that Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And so Jesus was coming And his work upon the cross and his first coming was all about redeeming mankind, all of us, from a greater oppressor a greater oppressor than that of Rome. So verse 25, it says, Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. 
Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what Jesus does here as he's walking on this road is he begins to take these guys through the Old Testament. And he begins sharing in the Old Testament all of those passages that the Jews had ignored, that they still ignore to this day, the passages that talked about how the Messiah was going to come and suffer. You see, what the Jewish people failed to realize is that the Bible spoke of two comings of the Messiah. The first coming, he was going to come and, and offer himself as the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. In his first coming, he was going to come and redeem mankind from the great oppression of sin and death and Satan. And the Old Testament was riddled with all of these passages that spoke of how the Messiah was going to suffer. But the Jewish people, they ignored that. And they, they ignore it again still to this day that they're thinking about the Messiah who is only going to come and conquer. And Jesus is going to come back at, at, at some time and he's going to set up his kingdom. But his first coming was to come and to offer his life a ransom for many. So Jesus is taking these guys through all of these passages talking about, no doubt, you know, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and all of those Old Testament passages, beginning with Moses and going all the way through the prophets that would speak about how the Messiah was going to suffer. And verse 28 says, and then they drew near the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And so he went in with them. Pause there for a moment. Let's see what we learn from this. You know, sometimes Jesus can seem hidden to us. We can be in a situation where Jesus seems hidden. And the problem is, is we tend to look for Jesus in the usual way that, that he has a, a appeared or revealed himself to us. And, and so we find ourselves in a, a situation, we go, well, this is how Jesus revealed himself in this situation last time, and we expect him to reveal himself to us in, in the, a similar situation this time, but he doesn't do that. And so we have this tendency to kind of put God in a box, but sometimes Jesus can seem hidden because he wants us to dig a little bit deeper. He wants us to come in our hearts to a place of desperation. You know, the Bible tells us that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And sometimes we need to get to that place in our lives where, where there is that sense of desperation and we say to ourselves, Jesus, you are all that I have. You're it. You know, one of the things that we constantly see in the Gospels is that Jesus always responds in a positive way to the desperate heart. And these guys are desperate. We see the desperateness in their voice in that phrase where it says that they constrained him. The idea behind that word is, is that they almost took him by force and they begged him and said, please don't leave us. You see, there was something so compelling about this man and they didn't know who he was yet. 
But there was something so compelling about him and and what he had been saying to them that they just could not imagine this evening being over. So they, they said to him, they constrained him, they begged him, they said, please don't go. Notice verse 30, it says, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread. Here's the key, here's our focus. He took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. Now this is so interesting to me. That on this walk, Jesus tells these two guys everything that they would ever want to know about him as he takes them through the Old Testament and talking about the Messiah, but they're still not getting it. But it wasn't until he took the bread and he blessed it and then he broke it and then he gave it to them. It wasn't until that moment that suddenly their eyes were opened and they saw him. And verse 32 says, and they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And so they arose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told of the things that had happened to them on the road, and watch this, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is what I want us to consider today. How he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. That what Jesus did that day with the bread, that he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it. It's a pattern that actually we've seen before. Luke chapter 22, just a couple of days prior to this, in the upper room with the disciples for the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. In Luke chapter 9, at the feeding of the 5,000, We see it there, that young boy that decided that he was going to share his lunch and Jesus took the five loaves. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it, and then he gave it to his disciples to pass out to the multitude. And I believe this pattern and sequence of taking and blessing and breaking and giving is a pattern that is indicative of the way that God so often works in our lives. Or to put it another way, the way that Jesus handles bread is often the way that he handles a life. Let's consider a couple of examples. We'll start with Abraham. You know, God took Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans. The taking stage often is equated with a calling, and God comes to Abraham there in Ur of the Chaldees, and he calls Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to take a step of faith. And if you follow me, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And all of your descendants are going to, you know, be in great number. And all the nations of the world are going to be blessed by your descendants. And so God calls Abraham to take this step of faith. 
believing that God was going to do something special and unique with his life. God was calling Abraham out, calling him out of his comfort zone, and calling him out, get this, at the age of 75 years old. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God, and he took that step of faith. And after God called him, after he took him out, he blessed him. He blessed him with this promise that he was going to do in his life. He blessed him with wealth, and he blessed him with abundance, as Abraham had much wealth and many servants as he was journeying to this land that God was going to lead him, but then God broke Abraham. You see, after several years of him taking that step of faith, there was no son. There was no heir. You see, when God called him, he, he says, I'm gonna make of you a great nation. Abraham and Sarah, his wife, they didn't have any kids. Sarah was barren. And so years go by, 25 years to be exact, and there's no son, there's no heir. Now imagine meeting Abraham on the road. He comes rolling into your town, and you're like, you see him and his servants and all his herds, and you're like, man, who is this guy? And so you go, hey dude, who are you? Where are you from? And he tells you, he says, I, I'm Abraham, and I'm, I've come from Ur of the Chaldees because the living God, the almighty God, the creator of the universe, he called me out, and he said to me, he said, Abraham, if you follow me, I am going to make of you a great nation, and from your descendants, all of the nations of the world are gonna be blessed, and you're like, like, wow, that's amazing. How many kids do you have? None. After 24 years, zero. And you're like, how long have you been gone? He's like, I've been traveling 20 plus years now. Imagine how humiliating that must have been for Abraham. All of those years were the breaking stage in Abraham's life. But here's what we need to remember. God's delays are not God's denials. For some of you who have been waiting on a promise and you've been waiting a long time, God's delays are not God's denials. He's working and he was working in Abraham. And after 25 years, God finally gave Abraham a son. He named him Isaac, which means laughter. And what a blessing Isaac was. Finally, Abraham was validated. Now when people would ask him, hey, who are you and where are you from? He could tell his story and then he could point to Isaac and say, and here's the one that God is gonna do all this through. This is my son that God has given to me in my old age. We could say, in essence, that Isaac represented Abraham's identity. His whole identity was now wrapped up in that boy. My whole life, what my life has been about for the past 25 years, it's about this boy and this kid. And then God comes and breaks him again because God asked Abraham to take now his son, his only son Isaac, and to take him up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to him. In other words, what God was saying to Abraham is, Abraham, I want you to take the very thing that represents your identity and put it on the altar. And you know, God does that same thing in your life and my life. 
He takes the, he wants, he'll, he'll call us to take the very thing that represents what our identity is wrapped up in. He'll say, you know what, you need to put that on the altar because he wants our identity to be wrapped up in him and him alone. First and foremost. Well, you guys know the story. Abraham, it says, took his son. And he wasn't a little boy. He was a strapping young man. He was carrying the wood and carrying the fire. And he's taking him up to Mount Moriah, believing that if God has him go through with this, he's going to raise Isaac from the dead. And, I, and Isaac says, Dad, you know, I, we've got the wood and the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And in that moment, Abraham prophesies when he says, God will provide himself, not for himself, but God will provide himself a sacrifice. And what's so significant about that is that very mountain, Mount Moriah in the Old Testament, is Mount Calvary in the New Testament, where God did provide himself a sacrifice for all of us. That God was in Christ Jesus there at Calvary, that he was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. But we see this in Abraham's life. God taking him, blessing him, then breaking him, and then giving him that he would be this blessing to the world. We see it in Joseph's life. You know, Joseph was taken from the barren womb of his mother Rachel, and God blessed Joseph. He blessed him with dreams and visions. He blessed him with favor in the eyes of his father, that his father would put him over all of his brothers, but that would lead to to Joseph's breaking because his brothers would grow resentful of his father's favoritism, and they would end up taking Joseph, and they would sell him into slavery, and get this, Joseph would spend the next 13 years of his life in slavery and in and out of prison. And during that time, it was the breaking stage in Joseph's life. But then God gave Joseph the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh would take Joseph and he would put him over second in command over all of Egypt so that Joseph would end up being the one that God would use to save not just his family, but the whole Jewish race and also all of the Egyptians as well. But you look at different characters in the Bible, be it Moses and Gideon or David, and the list goes on and on and on, and you see in all of their lives this pattern of God taking and then blessing and then breaking and then giving them to have a greater influence on the people around them. And in your life and my life, this is the way that God often works. This is the pattern that we often see. There's a taking stage that's followed by a blessing stage that's then followed by a breaking stage that is then followed by a giving stage. And this process will be repeated over and over again in our lives. The taking stage is what I also call the calling stage And it's where God is calling you. He's calling you into a new territory. He's calling you into a new direction in your life. It often happens in marriage. You know, God takes two single people and he brings them together. They're falling in love. And there's excitement, but also fear and uncertainty because they don't know where this relationship is going. 
There's not sure where it's headed, but that blessing continues as they continue to grow and that relationship and friendship you know, continues to foster and they realize that, hey, we're falling in love and then they get to that place after some time where they're like, you know, I think you're the one and they wanna get married. And oftentimes at that point, they come in for premarital counseling. And oftentimes when I'm meeting with a young couple like that in premarital counseling, somewhere in that premarital counseling, I want to begin to kind of prepare them for the breaking stage that's coming. I'll say, you know, there, there's, I know you guys are like so in love right now and it's just amazing, but there's going to be some adjustments. You might not realize this, but there's, you're going to discover some things about each other that are going to irritate you. And I'll say that and I'll get this look. And the look is like, not us, Pastor Rob. We're special. We're gonna be the exception. Our love is so strong. And I just smile and I file it. And then there's more blessing. They have the, the wedding and all the gifts and all the friends and the big celebration. And then they have the honeymoon and it's just blessing and they're on cloud nine. But somewhere after that, be it two weeks or two months or five months, I get the call. Pastor Rob, he's driving me crazy. He never puts the cap on the toothpaste. He never puts the toilet paper on the right way, if he does it all. He leaves his socks on the floor every single day. You see, this is what happens in the marriage relationship. In this breaking stage, God shines the light on our imperfections. We begin to see how self-centered we are. And what God is doing is he's seeking to work a change in your life. For those of you who are married, if you've never realized this, understand this. Your spouse is in your life, yes, to be a blessing to you. But your spouse is also in your life to be an instrument of God in your life. Your spouse is going to rub you the wrong way sometimes. And oftentimes, when, when they're rubbing you the wrong way, our tendency is to look at them and go, what is wrong with him? What is wrong with her? When in reality, we need to look and go, what is wrong with me? Why is this bothering me so much? And the reason is because God is revealing something in your life that he wants to change. And he's using your spouse to do that. The breaking stage in marriage, and it brings us to that place where it reveals the imperfection, it reveals the, the selfishness, it reveals the, the pride, it reveals the self-dependency. And all of us have that tendency. You know, if I were to take a picture of all of us here this morning that we're gonna put on Instagram, you know, so Pastor Ed could see it, and you look at that picture, who's the first person you're looking for? It's not Pastor Roy. You're like, what was I wearing that day? Were my eyes open? How did my hair look? You know, that's, we're, we're, we are naturally self-absorbed. 
And God allows us to go through the breaking in the marriage because God is wanting us to, re- to see that the work that he's wanting to do in our lives is to make us more like Jesus. You see, God breaks us to build us back up again. But know this, God is never seeking to make you a better version of you. That's not his goal. His goal in every one of our lives is to make us more like Christ. Romans 8, 29 says that this is God's goal is to conform us, to transform us into the image of his own dear son. So in this breaking stage, in this process that we go through, he's stripping us down to build us back up again, to make us more like Jesus. So we see this pattern in our relationships. We also see it in opportunities that we have to step out in faith, to step out in in ministry. Again, the taking stage happens when there's a call. Somebody calls you and says, hey, would you pray about being part of this ministry? Would you pray about getting involved in this way? And right away in the taking stage, and that you get that call and you're excited, like, wow, you know, they're considering me to be used in, in that type of way. And there's this great excitement followed by a fear where you're like, I don't know if I can do that. And we kind of have this dance between excitement and fear where we're, we're wondering, like, this is amazing, but I just don't know. And then finally, you know, comes along where, where you know, the excitement kind of wins over and faith kind of wins over. And we're like, man, I think God's going to maybe do something great. And I think God allows us to, to go to that place. Because if we really knew what was going to happen in serving him, because serving Jesus is a great blessing, but it also comes with difficulties. And if we really knew what the full picture was like, none of us would volunteer. We'd be like, no thanks. So he allows our hearts to be filled with this excitement, and that's what happens in in the taking stage. And then you take that step of faith, and it's followed by the blessing stage, where suddenly there's open doors, and you just sense God's presence, and you sense his favor, and maybe you're teaching a Bible study for the first time, and there's people that are actually coming, and they're listening, and they're enjoying it, and you're like amazed. I remember the first time that ever happened to me. I was a freshman in college. And a pastor at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa asked, hey, I'm doing this lunchtime Bible study at University High School. I can't do it anymore. You want to do it? And I was like, I don't think I can do that. I've never taught a Bible study before. I'm kind of introvert. I don't like talking in front of people. He goes, "Ah, you know what? You should do it. God, God will show you. So I ended up just going and sharing my devotions, what I read in the Bible that day, and I jotted down a couple things, and I shared it with them, and they liked it. They asked me back. They told another school, and they asked me to come, and I ended up spending the whole school year at, at these two schools, and it was just incredible, and I was thinking like, wow, I never ever imagined that God could use me in that type of way. In the blessing stage, it's like you sense that divine favor You sense God opening doors that have been closed. In the blessing stage, it feels like the the wind is at your back and it's just smooth sailing. But then comes the breaking stage. And in the breaking stage, suddenly there's obstacles. Suddenly there's opposition. Suddenly there's battle. Suddenly the wind that was at your back feels like it's in your face. The doors that seemed open now seem like they're shut, like you're running into a a brick wall. 
But it's in that breaking stage that God is purging us of all of our self-sufficiencies. It's in the breaking stage that we're forced to lay down our pride and our arrogance and to realize that we are nothing without God. The breaking stage is hard, but it's so important. And it's so impactful. In fact, you talk to anyone who has walked with God for a a length of time. You talk to anyone who has gone through some stuff with God. You talk to anyone who has had some life experiences with God, and this is what they will tell you. They will tell you, I learned far more about Jesus in the breaking stage than I ever did in the blessing stage. And that's why, in reality, the breaking stage is really the blessing stage. Because it's in the breaking stage that we learn that's when Jesus really shows up. That's when he really shows himself. It's in the breaking stage that we learn that his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in our weakness. It's in the breaking stage that we learn that it's really not all about you but it's really all about him. It was a breaking stage in the life of the Apostle Paul that led Paul to say, you know what, I'm gonna boast in my weakness. You see, Paul, in a breaking stage, he had what he called a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. It was some intense affliction that he was going through. He prayed three different times that God would take it away. And Jesus said to Paul, no, Paul, I'm not going to take it away. But this is what you're going to learn in the midst of this breaking stage in your life. You are going to learn that my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. And because of that, Paul responded and said, okay, I then am going to boast in my weakness because this is what I've discovered is that when I am weak, he is strong. Can I get an amen? Amen. In reality, what Paul was saying was, I'm not gonna allow weakness and I'm not gonna allow brokenness and I'm not gonna allow inadequacy to hold me back anymore because I've discovered that those things in my life provide an opportunity and a platform really for Jesus to shine and for his power to be manifested in my weakness. And so Paul said, I'm going to boast then in my weakness because when I, when I'm weak, I realize that when I'm weak, he is strong. That Paul could say, I've come to discover that the breaking stage is really the blessing stage because it's in the breaking stage that Jesus shows himself even more stronger. It's in the blessing stage that he shows up and maybe You're here today, and you're in a breaking stage. A part of you has been broken. Your heart has been broken. Maybe God is right now breaking you of your pride, breaking you of your stubbornness, breaking you of something that you cannot control. You don't like to not be in control and and you find yourself in this place right now. There's something going on in your life and you can't control it. And so he's breaking you of that tendency that you have towards self-reliance because he wants to bring you to a place of you being completely dependent 
upon him. Now, it's easy in the breaking stage to want to go back to the blessing stage. It's easy to say, Lord, man, I can't handle this. Lord, I'm not liking this. But when you're tempted to do that, I want to encourage you to remember this. God does not give away bread that he has not first broken. He doesn't give away bread that he has not first broken. And the breaking stage is important for what God is going to do in you and what he is going to do through you. And remember this as well, that it was in the breaking of the bread that Jesus was revealed. And it's in the breaking stages in our life that Jesus is seen even more clearly. And God's work is perfected in us. One last thing before we go. So we see here that Jesus, he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and then he gave the bread. Where was that bread the whole time? It was in his hands. Those beautiful, nail-scarred hands. And the same thing is true in your life and my life. In each stage that we find ourselves in, that we are always in his hands. We are always in those nail-scarred hands, and those hands speak of his love for us, the love that led him to leave heaven and to come to this earth and become a man and live in obscurity and live in poverty, and it was that very love that led him to, to go to the cross and die a death that you and I deserved. You see, it was really on the cross that Jesus was broken for you and me. And he was broken so that we could experience life in him. He was broken for us so that we could live so no matter what stage you find yourself in today, but especially if you are in the breaking stage, know this, church, that Jesus has got you, and he loves you, and he is for you, and he has not abandoned you. You are right where he wants you in his nail-scarred November 19th of last year was a really, really hard day in our family. It was actually my birthday, number 55. But I got a call that morning that my 22-year-old nephew, wonderful young man who loved Jesus, had served at our church, his fingerprints were just all over our ministry, that that morning he'd been killed in an automobile accident. Man, talk about being in a place where you're just like, I don't understand what's going on. Lord, why? We don't know the answers to all of that. But I can tell you this, through this whole time period, we have been in his hands those loving, caring hands. He's continued to hold us. He's continued to carry us. It's been hard. Really, really hard on my brother and his wife and 
All of them are a part of our church. But it's in those times we have to remember. Those times where we're confused. Hey, Jesus has got us right in his hands. And I may not know what's going on, but he knows exactly what's going on. I can't answer why, but he knows. And we have to trust him and lean on him. And know this, though no matter what stage you find yourself in, that Jesus is committed to completing the work that he's begun in your life. And it's really about the journey, the journey with him. If you're here today as we close, and you don't know Christ, or maybe you're here today and you have at one time in your life professed Christ, but you've wandered away from him, you right now are going in the wrong direction, away from the Lord. Know this, Jesus is after you. That's why you're here today. He's been after you. He loves you. He's never given up on you. Others maybe have given up on you, but Jesus never has and he never will. And he's calling out to you today to turn from going in the wrong direction and to come back to him, to turn back to him and to come to him realizing that his hands are open wide. Those nail-scarred hands that are this great reminder of his incredible love for you. That he gave up everything so that you could have life and you could have hope. And you could know, no matter what stage you find yourself in today, that you will always be in his hands. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this picture that we have in your word today. Jesus handling bread, being so indicative of the pattern of the way he so often works in each one of our lives. And Lord, I pray for this church family right now, and I know there are some in this room who are in the taking stage, and right now, oh, it's just exciting. You've called them into something new. You've led them in a new direction, and it's exciting. Lord, I pray that they would keep their focus on you and not the direction or the thing that you've called them to. Lord, for those that are in the blessing stage, Lord, I pray that they would rejoice in your blessing and that they would understand that those blessings are from you and that it's about you. But I also, Lord, pray that they would remember a breaking stage is coming. That the breaking stage is really going to be the blessing stage as you are gonna reveal yourself to them and your grace and your strength and your power in new ways. And Lord, I pray for those here in the room that are in that breaking stage right now that they wouldn't be tempted to lose heart, that they wouldn't be tempted to run, but they, they would remember that you are seen in the breaking, that they would remember that you never give away bread, you never use a life that you haven't first broken. And God, I pray that they would press into you. But Lord, I also pray right now for those in the room who maybe have never really given their life to you. They've never really surrendered like Jason was saying earlier in the service. That right now they would understand that you love them. 
that they would understand that although everybody in life goes through difficulty, it's part of being a human being, that believers in Jesus Christ, we just don't go through it alone, that you're with us, that you're for us. And God, I pray that those here that have maybe never surrendered their lives to you, that they would do so right now. But also I pray for those that have maybe wandered away. And they've been going in the wrong direction, and they know it. And right now your Holy Spirit is speaking to them. It's calling them, pulling them, expressing the fact that you love them and you want them to turn from that wrong direction and turn to you and allow you today to just wrap your loving arms around them, to forgive them and restore them and to fill them. With our head bowed and our eyes closed right now, if you are here in this room today and you are in either one of those places, or maybe you've never given your life to the Lord or maybe you have and you know that you've wandered from him and you know right now that Jesus, you sense it in your heart right now that he's calling you to come to him or to come back to him. I want to encourage you right now to just respond to that call by raising up your hand and I want to pray with you to just say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. God bless you. Anyone else? Just lift up your hand where I can see it and say, yes, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you guys. Anyone else that would say, yes, that's me? Lift it up high where I can see it. God bless you. God bless you. Father, I pray for these men and women right now who are expressing the realization that today you are calling them to turn from sin to turn from the right direction and to turn back to you. That they might begin to, to trust you. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in their lives right now. And if you raised your hand, I'd like you just in the quietness of your heart to repeat this prayer after me, meaning it with all of your heart, to tell Jesus, say, dear Jesus, I admit that I am far from you. But I've been going in the wrong direction. But today I want that to change. And today I want to surrender my heart to you. And I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me, to fill me with your spirit. And from this day forward, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. No matter what stage you lead me in, I want to follow you, Jesus. And so I give you my heart today, fully and completely, in Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.